I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring an offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the word as we look at it together. Hey, if you're visiting with us, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, welcome to all of you that are watching online and all that kind of stuff. Uh, everybody remembers the, the Beatles, right? Okay, we all remember the, the Beatles. Um, man, they had that great song. All you need is love. And then they broke up. <laughs> I guess you need more than love. Anyway, um, in 1966, in March of 1966, John Lennon, who was one of the, the Beatles for you young folks out there, made a statement to the London Examiner that literally rocked the world. And this is before the internet and TikTok and Facebook and, and all of that. And, and so this, this, this really literally rocked the world. Anybody remember what his statement was? What? Yeah, the, the quote was, we're more popular than Jesus. Now you could see why that would probably shake up a few people. Maybe even non-believers. But what's super interesting is that just one month later, Time Magazine came out with this cover. Is God dead? It was a month later. And by the way, it's the only time that Time Magazine ever had a cover that didn't have a picture on it. And they're asking the question, is he dead? And I've read the article. It's really interesting. There's been a lot of articles written like it, similar, over the decades. And then in June 21st, 1971, about five years later, after asking the question, is God dead, Time Magazine cover was the Jesus Revolution. In fact, if you put those two up together, in five years, Time Magazine, and back then, Time Magazine really isn't that big of a deal now, okay? But back then, it was huge. I mean, that was like a weighty, weighty, you know, magazine. It was like a legit news place. In 66, is God dead, really? Come on. Five years later, man, there's a Jesus revolution going on. And you can go see the, the movie that it's kind of based on right, right now. 
And so here's what I want to do. I, I, I want to take us back to the question, is God dead? And here it is, March 11th, 2023. And I think it's super interesting to read some of the stuff that, um, that you can find, uh, different podcasts, different articles, and I, I read a lot of stuff, I listen to a lot of stuff. Not all of it's re religious, in fact, most of the stuff I listen to and read is not religious. I wanna know what's, what's being said out there in our culture. Last week, I think Pastor Joel did a great job of unpacking Romans chapter one and all the weird and, and crummy and, and evil things that are going on in our culture today that obviously were going on 2,000 years ago when Romans one was written. I mean, we are living in some really, really, really unique and weird and crummy and evil, demonic times. There's no doubt about that. It seems like every day you pick up your newspaper and yes, I don't get the Modesto be delivered you know, in paper, I, I get it digitally. I think it's kind of crazy to call yourself a pastor in this city and not even know what's going on in your own city. So I am very in tune with what businesses are coming, what businesses are leaving. I, I, I get all my national stuff from, from maybe other news sources, but in the morning, the first thing I do is I'm reading lots of newspapers from all over the globe. I'm listening to, I'm looking at a, a, a number of news agencies. Some of them I'm sure would upset you if I told you who they were but I'm, I'm interested in what's happening in my world. I'm interested in what's happening in my culture. And when you look at that photo up there, is God dead, March 11th? I think a lot of people come to that conclusion. There's far less people coming into the brick and mortar buildings It's interesting what's going on in our culture. But one of the cool things is, is we can look back in history, <laughs> and five years after that original cover, there was a Jesus revolution going on. In other words, God, God can do anything he wants at any moment he wants. I was thinking about all of the spiritual activity that's going on right now, and maybe you've noticed it, maybe you haven't, I don't know. But I was thinking about the He Gets Us campaign. These national commercials that are running, and whether you like the commercials or not, doesn't matter. I, I, if, if I was spending $200 million, I might run some different types of commercials. I may say them a little differently, but I'm thankful that those commercials are out there. They ran two of them during the Super Bowl. I think it cost them 20 million, and I think Hobby Lobby and all of that is behind these things. These are national, major commercials that are getting people to think about spiritual things. 
about Jesus. I was thinking about, uh, on a national scale, you see these Greg Laurie commercials. Literally 30 seconds, some of them are a minute long where he's walking on a beach or whatever, and literally, he's, he's, it, it, they're not deep theological things. They're not supposed to be. They're 30 seconds long. And I get tired of Christians who just slam those things. They're just being used by the devil himself, in my opinion. They're not supposed to be deep theological commercials, but I'm thankful that they're on the air nationally talking about Jesus, talking about how he can forgive you of your sins, talking about how he can clear your conscience and give you a purpose for living. How he does it in 30 seconds or a minute, I don't know, but I'm thankful. And those aren't cheap, they cost money. I was thinking about the TV shows and miniseries that are out there that are all about God, right? The, the Chosen. And I know there are some of you that hate it. I get it. Quit posting about it though, will you? I'm thankful that there are millions and millions of people watching it. I, I get it, it it's, a, it's a dramatization of something. I, I know Jesus didn't do all those things. I know the disciples didn't say all those things. I know that. You don't need to complain about it. And for those of you that do complain, you're probably doing nothing anyway. I'm thankful for it. I don't care who put it on, I don't care. I really don't. Could have been a bunch of pagans for all I care. I'm just really glad that somebody raised the money and it's out there and people are watching it. I was thinking about the Jesus Revolution movie that just came out. Once again, it's not a theological movie. It's not there to try to explain the end times. That, that, that's not the point of it. It's, it's not a movie designed for seminary students. It's just a neat movie about a movement and some really neat men, Chuck Smith and Greg Laurie and even Lonnie Friesen. And some of you I know, I've seen the post. You've texted me when I said I went and saw it that man, his life didn't end very well. Man, I'm thank, th thank you for sharing with me his life didn't end well. But he was still used by God in an incredible way. Like an incredible way. And his life did end okay. Yes, he had a really, really crummy couple of chapters. I've had some crummy chapters. <laughs> Jeez. Thinking about all of these things that are happening on college campuses. And once again, I just see Christians out there posting stuff. Well, it ain't a real revival. 
Oh, man. I've never heard one of those kids say it was a revival. I've seen interviews. They just simply said, man, we came to a thing. They were preaching the word. We started singing. We started praying. I started repenting of my sin. Somebody else may have called it a revival. And who cares whether it's a real revival or not? I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm crazy enough to be thankful that a bunch of college kids are getting together, singing Christian songs, reading their Bible, and repenting of their sin. Call me crazy. But I just, I'm watching Christians just attack all these things. Bothersome to me, really bothersome. Like somehow they're the, you know, they're they're the ones who know everything there is to know about all these little things that are going on and all these little spaces and how God might be using those things in people's lives. I think as I watch all these little things going on, I really believe that, that we could have another Jesus revolution. I believe that. I, I can see things out there and go, wow, that's in the midst of all the weird, crummy, evil things that are going on, something's happening out there. Something's going on. And what will it take for God to show up and maybe blow our minds? Obviously, you know, prayer, you know, Second Chronicles chapter 7 says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, you know, we've all heard that verse probably. And I've always thought to myself, and I think Christians pray. I don't think the problem's praying. I think the problem is humility amongst believers. There's just an arrogance at times. We just point our bony fingers through Facebook and all these things and say, that ain't real, that's stupid, that, that's not a real revival, that movie's dumb, that, that movie doesn't have good end times theology, that, you know, what's going on at Asbury, that, that can't be real, come on, you know. And I think to myself, man, how arrogant. How arrogant of you to think things like that. All I, all I can do is look at these things and go, wow, God, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I sure hope, God, this is something you're doing that might bring about another Jesus revolution because we all know our country needs it. And it ain't gonna be about who our president is. It ain't gonna be about who our governor is. And it ain't gonna be about who our senators are. It ain't gonna be about that. I'm not saying we... Shouldn't try to get the right people in there. But if your hope is, is in who's the right president or who's the right governor or who's the right senator, then you already got this thing goofed up. God is not in heaven, you know, going, man, you guys got the wrong assembly person in there. I, I can't do a thing. You know, <laughs> vote in the right person. Now, I want to vote in the right people. Don't, don't mistake what I'm saying here. I 
Now here's where I'm gonna make a little shift. I don't know, if, I, don't, I don't know whether this is, I don't know if this is gonna work or not. I don't know. I'm gonna leave this in the Lord's hands. I think there's another thing that is needed in the church that will help bring about maybe another Jesus revolution. Jesus said this. He said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Wow. We all wish it was the other way around. He said, where your wallet goes, where you write your checks to, where your money goes, that's where this goes. The order is important. What you give your resources to, that's where your heart's gonna go. And I can prove it. Um, if I were to, um, some of you have probably heard of Workday. It's a, it's a company, my brother-in-law actually worked for Workday before it became publicly traded. He was one of the first 19 employees. He got to go on the stock market thing and be up there with uh, the guy who started it. And, you know, he, he did okay. Because when it went public, he, he did fine. But if I said to all of you, hey, listen, I want you all to go home tonight, and I want you just to, to put 10 grand into Workday. And you'd be thinking to yourself right now, I don't even know Workday. I don't even know what it does. I, I've seen it on golf tournaments maybe or... You know, I saw it when I'm driving down the 580, you know, on the left-hand side there, but I don't really know anything about Workday. If you put 10 grand into Workday tonight, you'd go home and on Monday, you'd be on your smartphone looking it up, you know, Workday, what's it doing? Is it up, down, what's going on? You care a whole lot about Workday, why? Because you put some of your treasure there. Right now, you don't care about Workday. There's probably nobody in this room that has any stock in Workday, so you don't care about it. You don't even think about it. You, you don't even know what it is. Put 10 grand into it, and I guarantee you, in about 15 minutes, you'll Google it. You'll know all kinds of stuff about it. You'll care about it because your money's there. In the history of the church, this one too, it's always been really interesting to me to know the statistics of those who give to the church, to the work of the Lord here, and how many percentage-wise don't. And it would shock you if you knew how many people in this room consider this their home church, and they don't give a thing to it. They could never convince me, based on what Jesus said, that their heart is really for the things of the Lord. Because Jesus said, where, where your treasure is, that's where this goes, and if you don't put any of your treasure here, well, don't tell me your heart's here. No, you can't do that. You can, take, you, can, you can make an argument with Jesus and his word. You can do that. 
When I gave my life to Christ here at Big Valley Grace, it wasn't in this building, it was on, on another building, we were a smaller church. You know what? Uh, like I was the dumbest guy ever. Like literally just gave my life to the Lord, man. I, I knew nothing. I didn't know a thing, but I knew one thing, and that was when that basket went by, man, because of what Jesus had done for me, I knew he, I, I didn't even get it. I had no clue what it even meant. But I knew there was something intuitive within me that said, this is one of the ways I gotta honor him and worship him. Just knew it. Let me fill your mind with some, with some truth, okay? Just real quick. I'm just gonna run through some passages here. And my point isn't to make anybody feel guilty. If you do, you know, that's the Holy Spirit maybe. <laughs> and embrace it, embrace it, it's okay. That's part of the reason why you, you come, is that God, you hear from the Lord. And you go, oh man, and then you just make a change, maybe. John, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Our brother Paul wrote in Romans chapter six, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Jesus said in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Peter weighs in in chapter five and says, God opposes the proud, but <clears throat> he gives grace, he gives grace to the humble. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and will be and it'll be given to him. Paul in Romans says, and since we are his children, we're his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Just a gift. God just says, man, you're my heirs. And then John 1, from his abundance, from God's abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. And I could go on and on and on, but all this to say is that our God is a giver. You can't miss that in scripture. You really can't. I mean, the most famous verse ever, you know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. I mean, all throughout the scriptures we see our Lord, our Savior, giving, giving, giving. Well, listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter one. Be imitators of God. That's what the Word of God says. 
crazy thought. It's a radical thought that our God, our Father, says, look, I want you to imitate me. I want you to be like me. God's a giver. Let me go a little deeper here. Psalms chapter 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. <coughs> everything. You look that word up in the Hebrew and it's super interesting because it means everything. It means absolutely everything. In Psalms 50, it says, I have, this is the Lord's, Speaking, He said, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills, even the hills. I know every bird in the mountains and creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that's in it. <coughs> well, okay. You get the point, right? Everything belongs to God. Mountains, trees, flowers, oceans, rivers, whales, eagles, spiders, the air we breathe, the food we eat, the children we raise, the sun, the stars, the, the moon, the galaxies, your car, your home, your pool, your clothes, your business, your money, you, everything, everything. Everything belongs to God. He just wants us to, to manage it. It's all his. He, he could have said, hey, look, it's all mine, and <clears throat> I, 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 you know, I want you to bring it all to me. I want it all. Everything you got, all your money, all your clothes, all your cars, all your homes, all your jewelry, you bring it all to me. It's all mine. He could have said it. And we'd be foolish not to do it. But he doesn't do that. God just wants you and I to be his resource managers. That's all. It all belongs to him. So, with all this said, I, I want to give you just a couple of basic thoughts before we receive our offering. Okay, just, these are just like some basic thoughts I want to give to you. That I think... If every single person in our church family were to put these into practice, not 99.9% .9 of you, but everybody, there might be a Jesus revolution in our church. Maybe. So the question, number one, is well, how much am I supposed to give? Okay, that's always a great question. And I've been asked that question <coughs> in my <coughs> 40 years here. I can't even tell you how many times. I remember asking the question, well, how much am I supposed to give, you know, when I was first, you know, saved? I'd show up and, you know, whatever I had in my wallet, it was like, okay, you know, I threw it in the deal. I didn't know, man, I had no clue. I just knew I was supposed to do something, man. 
Man, this is the way we're worshiping God. I ain't, I ain't not leaving me out of this thing. God, I'm not going to be left out. It's just, I've been saved. My sins have been forgiven. My conscience was cleansed. I'm loved by God. I got a purpose. Man, where's the basket? I'm not letting, I'm not letting somebody else do it and I'm not doing it. I wanted to know. And the answer is this, your best. Your best. In, in the book of Malachi, and Malachi is one of the, what they call minor prophets, and, and that doesn't mean that Jeremiah and Ezekiel were the, they're the major prophets. I mean, he's, you know, less than those guys. All it literally means is, is that the book is smaller. Okay, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all those are long, you know, long books. Malachi's not very long. So we call him a minor prophet. And he says this in verse six. The Lord of heaven's army says to the priests, a son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I'm your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You've shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying, the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. I mean, this is just... This is just so clear. Really? You're bringing a sheep with a poked out eye to me? You're bringing a goat with three legs to me? You wouldn't do that to your governor, but you'll do it to me? You, you're bringing me that? Look, our God's a God of love. And he loves us. Man, get this. Just hear what's going on here. Verse 9 says, Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Asked the Lord of heaven's army. How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's army. Dude, God's saying, shut the door of the churches. If you're going to bring a goat with a poked out eye or a sheep with warts all over it, you're better off locking those doors so that they can't get in here and give that gift to me. Man, I think he's, I think God has a strong opinion about 
these, these things here. But my name is honored by people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world, they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name is great amongst the nations, says the God of heaven's army. But you dishonor my name with your actions by bringing contemptible food. You're saying that it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heavens, heaven's army. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept them? Accept them uh, from, you, from, from you, these offerings, asks the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of heaven's army, and my name is to be feared amongst the nations. Then you go on a little bit farther into Malachi chapter 3, and God ain't done. Should people cheat God? Yeah, you have cheated me. But you ask, well, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do so, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out blessings so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put it to the test. And by the way, that's the only place in Scripture where God says, hey, test me on this. Test me. You think I'm kidding around? You see, God requires your best. God deserves your best. God is worthy of your best. And I don't know what your best is. I don't know. That's not for me to determine. But make no mistake about it. Our, our God who loves us and cares about us and came and died on a cross for us and lives inside of us and man, he forgave us of our sin and man, cleaned our consciences and does all these wonderful things. Hey, look, there are some things that are serious to him. There's some things that matter to him. And that's why, man, the scriptures, some say... Jesus talked more about money than he did any other subject. More than hell. King David said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give God something that's just, it's no big deal. I'm not going to do that. And when I bring a gift to God, King David said, it's going to cost me something. There's going to be a sacrifice involved in it. Hey, I knew when Pastor Joel said, hey, we're going to, we're going to finish up the, the building out there. I, I knew what that meant. My wife and I were going to have to sacrifice. 
But if Pastor Joel and the elders believe this was the moment to finish that thing out there, man, they're the ones that are going to stand before God and give an account for how they oversaw this. And I know they want 100% participation, so we said, okay, we're going to participate. And we began to pray, think, and all that kind of stuff. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer a sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do is wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you're on earth, so let your words be few. Wow. Look at verse 1. Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Let me just tell you something. When you came in here tonight, this is, a, this is a holy, sacred piece of real estate. This ain't no joke. And I think these words ring true to us. Be careful how you enter this place, Christian. Guard your steps. This is a holy place. And we're going to sing songs. And we're going to remember the Lord, his, his coming and his horrible death and his, his, his resurrection and his soon coming, you know, communion. And, and, and we're going to fellowship and we're going to, we're going to hear the word preached, right? And, and we're going to give our offering. And yes, this is a wonderful thing. But it's a holy thing. It's a sacred thing. You don't take this lightly. A lot of things in life you can take lightly. But man, this is a holy moment for those of us that name the, the, the name of, of Christ. And I wonder, did you bring God a sheep with a poked out eye tonight? <laughs> did you bring a calf with three legs? Did you bring an ox with warts all over it? Or did you bring your best? Whatever that is, just bring your best. Because that's what God wants is the best, the first fruits, first part. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Freely give. Look, man, the culture's goofed up, man, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know this. It took five years, and now there was a Jesus revolution. I don't think it can take, I don't think it needs five years, but I can tell you this. If every believer here started taking this stuff seriously, giving their gifts to the Lord seriously, and everybody's heart means that everybody's heart now was going towards the Lord and the work, man, I want you to know something. Oh, man, who knows? What might happen? So how, the question number one was how much should you give? And the answer is your best. Number two, and these will only take me a second now. Where, where do you bring your gift? The answer is the, the church. You saw Gary, who's one of our elders and his wife, talk about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it says, Now regarding your question about money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia, 
on the first day of the week. You should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and, and, and then, you know, try to collect it all at once. The point here is, is Paul saying, you know, you thought about it. You used your brain that I gave you. You put some thought into what you were going to give. And when I first became a Christian, I didn't, I didn't give a thought. Pastor Lonnie was one of the pastors of the church when I first gave my life to Christ. I know he thought about it. I'm just a new believer. I never thought about it. I was just grabbing money out of my wallet, whatever I had left, you know, man. Woo! And you know what? I think God was pleased with that because I didn't know anything. He just saw a guy grabbing money out of his wallet and saying, man, God, man, thank you for saving me. Thanks for, you know, cleansing me of my sin. Thank you, Lord, that I'm free from all the stuff that I was involved in. That's unbelievable. I got this new church family. I'm learning about you. Are you kidding me? But it didn't take long to go, you know, whoa, 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 wait a minute here, man. You know, there's got to be some planning going on. You got to put your brain into it. And question number three, and this is the last question, how should I give it? And the answer is with great joy. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, remember this, a farmer who plants only, uh, only a few seeds is only going to get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. That makes sense. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So you give, you give your best, you bring it here, and you do it with great joy. That's why we call it the moment of joy. I want to tell you about a time, I've, I've shared this maybe before, but it was a time I didn't give with great joy. And Lonnie and Nancy will remember this. Some of you might have been here this long, but I know they will. So when... When we bought this land here, you know, Lonnie and I have been involved in building campaigns here forever. Okay, when we were always building, we had to buy the land, and then and then we bought the land, and 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 then 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 we had to build a building, man, and so we started building this building, and and then and then when we got into this building, there was like no carpet, and we really didn't have good chairs or anything, and so there was furnish the house of God campaign. Remember that one? I mean, you want to talk about creativity. Man, we pastors can get super creative about stuff. So we didn't have any carpet, which is like a cement floor. And so it was furnished the house of God. And I don't know, the whole thought was, you know, take two months and then, you know, everybody's going to bring their gift. And then the money taken in, we'd buy carpet and we'd buy good chairs and, you know, whatever else the church didn't have at the time. I don't know. So my first wife, if you're visiting with you, I was married once before she died in a car accident decades ago. But my first wife and I, at that moment, we were just about ready to purchase our first house. It was $99,000 on Raquel Lane, okay? And we had saved and saved and saved. And, you know, I was a youth guy then, and the youth guys then didn't make a whole lot of money. They don't make a whole lot of money now. But you're like low guy on totem pole and you're gutting it out. You're saving your money. And, and so on Monday, we were going to get the, no, uh, yeah, on Monday, we were going to get the keys to the house. And so 
We had gone over with the real estate person who was a member of the church at that time, and this is gonna be your house, and da 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 da. And we went there like, you know, on Saturday and looked at it again. It was like, oh man, we got our first house. And, you know, but every nickel we had went to the down payment. And so we're in there looking at it, you know, on Saturday, and it's like, I said, hey, where's the refrigerator at? And I forgot their names, Paula Ackard. Ackard, she was a real estate agent. Uh, the Ackards, or Mrs. Ackard. She goes, oh, well, you know, when you buy a house, because all I'd ever lived in are apartments. You get a, you get a refrigerator, man. <laughs> People in an apartment, man, they take care of you. All of a sudden you buy a house, it was like, where, what? There's no refrigerator, what are you talking about? There's no refrigerator, man. She goes, oh, no, you don't, you don't get a refrigerator. Well, I, didn't, I thought, oh, man. So we left. It's Saturday night, and we got an envelope full of money that we had been putting money away because Sunday was furnished the house of God. Everybody's going to bring their offering forward, and we had, I don't know what it was, 250 bucks. I, I don't even know what it was back then, but there, we had all this cash. <laughs> and so Mr. Spiritual here of the family says, hey, listen, we can take the furnished the house of God money, and we can go buy a refrigerator. And then we'll save up over the next couple of weeks because trust me, the church will take our money anytime. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm, not, I'm not giving you any secrets here, you know. I mean, trust me, we'll take your money anytime. And I, I, I said, hey, and, and we'll just go buy a refrigerator. And my wife said, you know, hey, you're the spiritual leader of our home. If, if that's what you think we need to do. We made a commitment. I, I can get an igloo. And we can put ice in it and, and put milk in, in the thing. And I'm thinking, what? This is my house. I don't want to come home and open an igloo and get my milk out of an igloo. What are you talking about? And that whole night I was conflicted. <laughs> I wanted to get a, a refrigerator. I had the money sitting in an envelope. And I went, the class I went through, you put money, actually put cash in the envelopes and all that stuff. So I had all this money, and I'm going, oh, man. So now it's Sunday morning, I show up here, you know, and we're sitting somewhere. There was no balconies back in those days, and I, I don't know, we were sitting somewhere. <laughs> and it was now, come forward with your offering. And it was like, man, I, I was totally faking it, totally hypocrite. Had the smile on my face <laughs> as I'm walking down the aisle. Hey, look at me with my offering. And the whole time I'm going, you got to be kidding me. I'm gonna drop this 250 in the thing to furnish this thing, and I need a refrigerator. I'm, I, this whole thing was just running through my mind. I'm angry, and my wife's next to me, and we're holding hands, and I'm just not, I, I, there, was, there was no joy in this thing. My best, I was giving it my best. I was bringing it to the church. I was two for three, that ain't, that ain't bad. In a baseball game, that's pretty good. I was two for three. And I put the thing in the, you know, whatever it was and the, whatever we had, basket, and I go sit down and church is open. The youth offices used to be right, right outside those doors where it's, got, it's a green room now, but that, that's where my office was. So church is over and I'm thinking, man, we're gonna pick up these, we get to go into the house and we got no refrigerator and the whole thing, I was just so bummed, it was unbelievable. And all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. My wife and I are in there and, you know, open the door and this couple came in. And they said, hey, 
we heard that you guys, you know, bought your first house. And I said, yeah, yeah, we got our first house. It's great. You know, we get to go in Monday and move in or whatever. And they said, you know, we remember when we bought our first house, man, that was, that was tough, man. You know, and they were kind of an older couple. Well, hey, listen, we went down to Circuit City. There used to be a Circuit City on McHenry. Some of you remember that. And we bought your refrigerator. Now, now, here's the receipt, and you can get anything you want. I don't know if it's going to fit, you know, da 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 and, and, and I didn't want to look at my wife because she was going to have that I told you so look, you know. Because <laughs> she was saying, let's just trust the Lord. Let's just trust God. I can use an igloo. We'll be fine. Don't worry about it, you know. And it was like they walked out the door, and I was just going, this is, like, weird. So the refrigerator we got was way nicer than the refrigerator we could have bought with the money we had. Now I want you to know, listen to me, Christian, God doesn't always do that. God doesn't always do that. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes the blessing comes from some other way. But wow, let me tell you something, listen. You bring your best, you give your best. The, the, I'm gonna ask the, the worship or the worship, uh, we're gonna sing a song, we're gonna take our offering. Give your best, bring it here, and do it with joy. So Lord, thanks for today and a chance to worship you. And man, thank you God for your goodness and the fellowship and the communion and all the things that are going on here at Big Valley Grace. May there be great joy here as we receive this offering. And I pray this in your name, amen.